Panic has set into the Ojai Valley this week. Although on her website, Kate the Baker says that she will be back from her trip to San Francisco by the end of the month, red enthusiasts all over town are afraid she will never return. With limited sourdough loaves and no mushroom asparagus croissants to be seen, surely it will come to fisticuffs at local organic market farmer and the cook as vexed, vicious, vegan vegetarians become voracious for Vienna bread vittles. I'm done. I'm from here. Here's the story. Welcome back to the Townies Podcast. I am Kim Maxwell, and I am a Townie. I'm a Townie who loves other people's stories. I teach a weekly writing and performance workshop here in my ridiculously small fishbowl of a town nestled in the foothills of Ventura County. And for 25 years, the raw and vulnerable musings of my brilliant and courageous students have sent me home filled with hope. Some of my beloved students are seasoned professionals. Some have never even been on a stage before. But there they are up in front of a live audience, flinging themselves and their brand new words into the abyss. Their reward? They have been heard. They matter. Their words matter. And the audience? Well, they have just officially been granted permission to do the same, to go out there somewhere and take a big old risk. And that is the sacred exchange between terrified storyteller and gracious audience member. Permission. I love people's stories because stories are what connect us. This is the Townies Podcast. Welcome to the neighborhood. Episode three, a long way from home. On today's podcast, Lucky Strikes. Written and performed by Annabelle Roca Lezra, a dancer in motion the day she arrived. Annabelle's words flow like her body moves, with grace, intelligence, and an unexpected awkward elegance. It was sunny. We were roaming free around Madrid that afternoon. We were spending money on too many aperitivos and tall glass bottles of Coca-Cola, just because nobody was there to tell us we'd had enough. We almost never saw each other. My cousin Amanda and I could trust that we would see each other the summer to come, but Nat almost never came to Spain. I had memories of certain holidays with my cousin Nat, but they were placed like a skipping stone on a timeline, some closer than others. It was strange. It was very unusual that we were all three in Madrid at the same time. We must have been 13, about to be 14. Nat is a year older than us, so he was 14, on the verge of 15. We were beginning to be curious about all the things that kids around us were doing. Kissing and all that other stuff that we never really knew people did to each other. (laughs) Nat was our older cousin. So I felt like if anybody could explain these things to me, it would be him. And since I like boys and he was a boy, I felt like this made his answers much more valid. (laughs) We stopped walking and all sat down on a bench in front of a park. 
I have no idea what we were talking about prior to the conversation that followed. I've never kissed anybody. <laughs> that was kind of cool. Well, what does it feel like? And I think Amanda was interested too. <laughs> Why do people use their tongues? I think that's so weird. <laughs> yeah. I guess it is weird, but it feels kind of cool. Some people really suck at it, though. <laughs> Why do they suck at it? <laughs> mm, they don't know what to do with their tongue. He proceeded to tell us about one of his experiences. I remember slight bits and pieces of his descriptions of how she, and I quote, was sucking on his face in all the wrong ways. <laughs> Jesus, this all sounded so fucking complicated. What if I was gonna suck? I had to have him explain it to me so that if this was gonna happen to me soon, I was gonna kind of know how to do it. <laughs> you have to do like an up motion. <laughs> and he started showing me with his tongue. That looks so weird, I thought to myself. Wanna try it? I honestly, have no idea what happened in between that question and the moment that I was pressed up against a wall with my cousin French kissing me. <laughs> that summer was one where we were all three closing ourselves behind doors and talking with no filters about our strangest questions and observations. A few days after that, we were allowed to be out and about later than we should have been. We entered a jazz bar and attempted to order a few drinks. I remember getting really nervous, getting up and walking over to a cigarette vending machine. I had seen my dad's girlfriend smoke Luckies, so I fed the machine the three euros it required and held for the first time in my life a pack of my own cigarettes. When I walked back to the table, Nat and Amanda told me that they had gotten too scared to order and just got a few coats. <laughs> the music was amazing, and I knew that this night was special and one that I would remember for the rest of my life. It ended with us walking down the stone road at about 10 at night, two 13-year-olds and one 14-year-old, confessing and laughing our way through an entire pack of Lucky Strikes. <laughs> Thank you, Annabelle. Comfort Food, written and performed by Noah Lashley. My big-hearted, big-dreaming, big-brained nephew with a big, warm laugh is a senior at Hendricks College. He loves comic books and stand-up and being right all the time. Um, hi, ma'am, ma'am. I'm sorry, ex excuse me, miss. Um, I'm sorry, um, but I see by the box of polenta that you have in your hand that you eat polenta. <laughs> See, um, um, I've just gotten a little turned around, lost, but I have a direction, and it's the box of polenta that you have in your possession. <laughs> See, you took the last box. And I'm not going to say that I freaked out, because I, I didn't freak out. I don't freak out. That's not what I do. That's not what I'm about. <laughs> but I, I did breathe a little faster and get a little flushed, and I did start talking to myself in a little bit of a hush. That's why, ma'am, I, I, I'm in need of your polenta. See, I need a corn dish, a comforting corn dish, because um, I have this person coming over, and I just need to have this, this aura, this aura, this um, aura that I just have my shit together. <laughs> because uh, the person that's coming over who's staying over, see, he's this boy, this boy that I, I really like, who's a big butt, brainy, bug-eyed beauty that I enjoy. 
His name is Brady, and Brady is from Hot Springs, the one in the south where Brady can barbecue and drink beer with his buddies as he talks about what's been beating him up lately. <laughs> and I'm one of those buddies. But because I can't bear the taste of barbecue sauce and because I come from California, I thought I would queue up some California barbecue and make polenta with some zucchini and summer <laughs> squash <laughs> and some grilled endive and feta. <laughs> See, I feel like polenta is the right way to go. Uh, the only way to go, you know? The Southerners uh, know about comfort food because they try as much as possible to make themselves comfortable in that inhumane humidity, that insane hostility, and that ingrained hospitality. <laughs> polenta may not be grits, but corn is food, and food is comfort, and comfort is food. Thus, polenta is comfort food. It just sits there and stews and zens, and you stir it, and it goes with the flow. Like, I'm sure that Buddha ate polenta, and that's... <laughs> That's my goal, to have a fat, happy man at the end of my dinner table. <laughs> no, no, yeah, yes, no, I, I understand that you have a family reunion and that your uncle may be dying, and I don't want to trivialize your problems, um, <laughs> but, but this night, this night tonight could be the night that my world changes, that something <laughs> finally changes, and the polenta is the key, so no, 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 you can't, you can't go. <laughs> um, you can't just take it, just, just hear me out. See, grocery shopping is a, a really stressful endeavor for me because like, well, you know, everything's a fucking decision nowadays. Half price this, add avocado to that, organic, gluten-free and free of fat. It's just, it took me a really long time to land on polenta. And, <laughs> I, um, and I, I was trying to decide on what I wanted to cook and taking in all the considerations, and I thought, polenta. And then I got here, and I was like, do I want polenta for dinner? I don't even know if I like polenta that much. And like, if I'm eating rice on Thursday and quinoa on Wednesday and couscous on Friday, doesn't polenta seem like overkill? <laughs> And I read an article that said that grits are actually better for you than polenta because the way that grits are made is, are, are, is, is great and polenta is essentially like polenta for your body when you ingest it. So why should I invest in it? But, but you know, who cares if Southerners are right for the first time in like 500 years? <laughs> grits may be better for you, we get it, but, but I have a California, but you can't have California barbecue without polenta. You can't, you can't, it's a staple. It's important that people branch out. It's important that people try something new. So I need polenta, some Arnold Palmer and sunglasses and it's a motherfucking party. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I could, you're right. I could just get something else, but I, I just want everything to be perfect because everything has been the same for so long, you know? And, and I'm over it. Please, for God's sake, if you hand over the polenta, you could be, you could be president, Madam President, because <laughs> the world can change. You would be changing the world, and not like to imply that the world revolves around me, but <laughs> it's revolving around something, and yet it feels like it's not evolving at all. You can eat polenta any other day of the week. Why do you have to choose today? Today of all days, why? Just give me the polenta. Give me the polenta. Give me the polenta. <laughs> Give me the polenta, God damn it, give me the polenta. Because I need the polenta, ma'am, because I, I can't say words like I like him, not to him, because the words that would come back would be sent worlds away from where I need them to go. Like if I were Jupiter because I am big and noble and gassy, he, 
he would shoot right past me and hit a galaxy so far away, science wouldn't be able to comprehend it, and it would retire. And he's a scientist. So this, tonight, the polenta, you, you are like the butterfly effect. Like, you would be that beautiful little butterfly that flaps its wings to cause a gust of wind, to cause a tornado, to cause a swell, to cause a tsunami, to cause a vibration, to cause an earthquake. An earthquake that shakes the world awake, the sh that shakes the world into place, you know? So people can stop crying and dying and buying useless shit and, and lying. People can sit around a dinner table and eat polenta and meet again like he knew all along. So would you please just give me the polenta? And that was Noah Lashley. No, now. Written and performed by Amanda Lezra. Born and raised in Madrid with her cousin Annabelle, who you heard earlier. Somehow the fates lined up so that the direct, pragmatic, and infinitely poetic Amanda Lezra ended up here in Ojai, California. Yay, fates. Dear Mom, Yesterday, your sister told me that you tried to kill yourself with a broken bottle. Your mother found you bleeding in your brother's bedroom. Your father took you to the hospital, and you told them not to tell me because you didn't want me to worry. Dear Mom, since when? Dear Mom, I've been checking stoves and double-checking locks and hiding keys and emptying bottles since I was seven. I've seen you in straitjackets. I've seen you sedated. I've seen you in straitjackets. I've seen you sedated, and I know how to stitch skin. Dear Mom, you have borderline personality disorder, so sometimes you're gone. Sometimes you're the moment between Jekyll and Hyde. Sometimes you're caught in a civil war between everything crooked and everything aligned. Sometimes you're emotionally skinless, swimming in deep, relentless feelings, needs, desires. Mom, your heart is Achilles' heel, shot, and you're never healed. Not by doctors or pills, not by love, not by sex, not by alcohol or art, not by me. So you make new plans, you put them in the sky, out of reach, maybe, intentionally, and then you fail, and then you drink, and then you decide you're done being alive. Dear mom, stop. Dear mom, why? Dear mom, you pulled me out of bed at midnight on a school night because there was a movie I had to see, a book I had to read, a messy sculpture I had to touch right then. Now, no, not in the morning when it makes sense. No, now, because living is now, because I won't be going to school in the morning. No, because we're going to France instead. Dear mom, I have your hair your nose, and your eyes. When you were six, they took out your spleen, and then mine when I was 13, maybe just because I wanted your same scar. Dear mom, we have the same scars. Dear mom, you don't know that I know what you did, but next time I see you, I'll press your scar on my skin. I'll tell you that I love you always, even in silence, so if you stay, you have me, and if you go, you have me too. Mom, You were listening to Amanda Lesra. Next, we have French Boy, written and performed by Amari Sogran, a skater, an embedded systems engineer, a doting husband to my daughter. Amari comes to us by way of Paris, France. He likes Cards Against Humanity, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and pasta burritos. 
which is exactly what it sounds like. I am French. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry for my French boy accent. I'm sorry for my too complicated to say name. I'm sorry for my non-conventional use of words. And I'm sorry to be sorry. <laughs> Hi, I'm new to the neighborhood. I moved in three months ago. Did I mention that I was French? I sometimes mix up words. Maybe you would have guessed by now that I am the author behind Tonight's Crooked but Awesome show's title, Kick Shit with a Stick. <laughs> I've been told afterwards that you can do lots of things with a stick. You can hit, you can poke, you can even stab, but apparently you can't kick shit with a stick. <laughs> Whatever. My mom recently asked me if being a Frenchie in the United States was somehow useful, handy, or at least a little helpful. Well, being depicted as a romantic, love expert, and food expert person is pretty, pretty cool. Especially when those statements are far, so damn far from the truth. Because let's face it, let's be real. I'm romantic? Yes. No. Maybe sometimes. Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> I'm a love expert. Well, if you consider someone who crossed a five years love desert and miraculously found the love of his life while being away from his native country, if you do consider this person as a love expert, then yes, maybe I am a love expert. And I'm a food expert? A what? A food expert? You must be joking. All I know is rice. Pastas. Pastas and rice. And meat. But don't ask me if I would rather have that or this type of meat, because it's all the same to me. It's fucking meat. I'm certainly one of the most, if not the most, picky dude when it comes to eating. I might be as strict with my food as a vegan slash vegetarian slash dairy-free slash gluten-free person. <laughs> so to answer the question you guys are all asking in your head since the beginning, no, I was not born wrapped in a crescent <laughs> with a baguette under my arm. I'm so sorry. I have always loved the fact that the United States is a flag-loving and united country. United States citizens, from my French point of view, look like they care a lot about which direction their country is heading. You guys look like you're trying really hard to solve the problem you're facing. And despite the fact that I fucking hate ghosts, I'm blown away by those giant, known-to-be-hunted houses you can find everywhere here. <laughs> it's like the US are an unlimited source of poltergeist terrorists. <laughs> now that I think about it, it's like the US are an unlimited source of alien slash UFO slash weird shit stories. <laughs> and that is actually something I really love about being here. Imagination is everywhere. 
and the line between this free imagination and reality is way blurred. <laughs> so it is not useful to be French in the United States, but it can get funny sometimes. You know how trendy it is nowadays for Americans to use French words, right? Well, imagine you're in my shoes and you're part of a multiple person conversation. You would have 10 times out of 10, the immeasurable and priceless privilege of being given a look when someone uses a French word, a look that both says, is that right? Did I say it right? <laughs> and anyway, I know I'm white. I'm American. Bon appétit. <laughs> Did you know that in France, we are told that America is only one continent? known as the Americas. When I learned, <laughs> when I learned, when I learned that it's told that the Americas are two continents, the North and the South America, well, it made me think a lot. I mean, come on. If you guys want that bad to be separated from the others, well, go big and create three continents and call them the very, very cold north, <laughs> the America proper, and the, oh yes, that's right, there are some countries there. <laughs> Before 2015, I would have used a lot of words to describe friends. Patriotic wouldn't have been one of them. They would have been more grumpy, grumpy, <laughs> huge unemployment rate, and run by a stuffed bear-like president. <laughs> if the world was a classroom, I'd say France would be this fashionista but so complacent and irritable kid in the back. <laughs> when the US would be this tall, cool, and smart guy who would always sit in the front row. Well, except for the global warming class, maybe. <laughs> we are in January 2015. The satirical magazine Charlie Hebdo's headquarters are being attacked. And guns are used to shut down this freedom of speech that apparently made France a so-hated country. Those attacks, those terrorist attacks, as horrible as they were, did affect the French people in a very different way than the one it affected them three weeks ago. French people felt at that time like it actually could have been them. We are the 13th of November 2015, a Friday, and you have to know that all Fridays the 13th are a really serious synonym for bad luck in France. French national football team is playing a friendly game against their former great enemies, the Germans. People are enjoying the starting of their weekend by either going to the restaurant, grabbing a beer at a local bar, or making their way to a concert. Freedom, champagne, wine and joy. We are a hated country. And so it happened, explosions, gunshots, and slaughters. I'm speechless. My heart is bleeding. Paris is where I'm from, and it's like my home is being annihilated 
and there is nothing I can do. France is, after all, a united country. French people love their flag. I love my flag. And it took such a tragedy to realize it. There definitely is a before and after 11-13. And I have a feeling the same story is to be seen within the America's 9-11 tragedy. I might be wrong, but that's what I think. I'm not in France anymore, but the fear crossed the ocean to catch up to me. The fear of losing my family, my friends, or my French compatriots. France is at war, and it feels like the danger is both invisible and intangible, which is scary. It's like fighting a ghost. I fucking hate ghosts. I guess I can say that I miss France, even when I feel ho home when I'm here. I'll always be that little middle school French boy known for his award-winning poem that his grandfather was so proud of. It was about a country far, where love and happiness were king and queen. I was obviously young and naive. But uh, damn, it was beautiful and full of hope. That was Amaury Sokra. Coming up next, Jeanette Stumpfley and Saul Gordillo II. When the Townies podcast continues. about the artists and music featured on the Townies podcast, please visit thetowniespodcast.org. Letting Go, written and performed by Jeanette Stompfli. Her Swiss sensibilities effortlessly wind their way through her life as a mom, wife, teacher, student, neighbor, writer, Buddhist adventurer, friend. My youngest is applying for college. My tender-hearted boy out in the world on his own. The girls, one off to college, the other one with a real-world job working in San Francisco. I hope my children are more considerate than I was. I was the worst. <laughs> the worries I put my mom through. I left home for the first time when I was 17. I was flying to Chicago to spend a year as an exchange student in Sandwich, Illinois. <laughs> I was more than ready to leave my little town in Switzerland and experience a new and bigger world. Doubt only hit me once briefly when I sat down in the airplane. I had never flown before. 
What if I never see my parents, my brother and sisters again? What if something happens to me? What if one of them dies and I'm not even there? Hmm. Then the airplane took off and the world below diminished steadily. We were now higher than the snow-capped peaks of the Alps. The sky was deep blue and immense and my mind shifted to the, to the adventures ahead. I felt confident and full of open expectancy. That whole year, I made three phone calls home. <laughs> One, the first day I arrived to let my parents know I had got there safely and without my suitcase. The second one was on Christmas, the third one on my mother's birthday. I did send a few letters and once in a while I made a tape for them. One time, I mixed up the cassettes and sent them the collection of my favorite Bob Dylan songs. <laughs> my entire family, including my grandparents, who came to Sunday lunch every week, sat around the tape recorder. You mothers and fathers throughout the world, please don't criticize what you don't understand. Your sons and your daughters are beyond your command, and at times they are a-changing. They sat there and listened to the whole tape, waiting expectantly for my voice to come on to tell them about my life in America. I was in my new world with little concern for their worries and feelings. I knew they loved me. That certainty was the background of my new adventures and allowed me to venture out freely. I didn't need them anymore. Now that I have children of my own, I cringe about some of the things I did or didn't do. And I see especially my mom in an entirely different light. We had a difficult relationship, heightened during my teenage years. My mother was a stylish and proud woman from an upper middle class background. She was stubborn and independent. Once she had made up her mind about something, no logic could persuade her otherwise. And just when everybody had given up, she changed her opinion on a whim. <laughs> this drove me crazy. It took me half a lifetime to appreciate her tremendous intuition, intelligence, and fierce inner independence. In spite of my rebellion and often unkind outbursts towards her, we were connected. Even if our opinions of things were very different. During my college years, for instance, she could detect any emotional lows I was experiencing from afar. A boyfriend had left me. I had failed an exam. My best friend had disappeared into a twosome. Mm -hmm. Pretty much without fail. When I was distraught, she called. Mm -hmm. Hi, Shatsali, how are you? I was just thinking of you. And I would burst into tears on the other end. <coughs> It got so predictable that I accused my roommates of talking to her. <laughs> I distrust feeling goody the universe loves us stuff, but there is no denying it, we were connected. 
When I had moved half a world away, we often got busy signals trying to call each other because we tried at the same time. She has been dead almost 10 years now. I still miss her and I appreciate the gifts she has left me even more. My mom wanted us to be independent so strongly that she never showed her feelings for fear they would hold us back. I'm grateful to her for that. And at the same time, it hurts to think of her pain. I'm the adult now. I'm the one being left. My anxiety and pain have to stay with me. I have to dive into the grieving of separation and feel the many hairline fractures in my heart. The thought of not being able to protect my kids anymore tugs on me. Can I find trust in their ability to handle things, to rise to challenges? They will make mistakes, but hopefully not detrimental ones. Can I trust that things usually work out? My three children are who they are. I want to send my son off with the best wishes and the unconditional love I will always have for him. May it help him to be strong and open for things to come. Please own your intelligence, resourcefulness and beauty. Please be open and free and feel safe to expose a tender heart and be fearless to be touched by others. Please be playful and tackle whatever sparks your interest. See the canopy of stars, dance in the wind with outstretched arms. Take risks, but don't be stupid. <laughs> My life has to adjust and find its own new purpose. I feel the shakiness before taking the leap into openness the freedom to explore, to deepen my own path and find the gifts I have, widen the circle and offer them. I promise this time around, I will not take in another exchange student, <laughs> rescue a puppy or try to raise a litter of kittens. <laughs> Maybe a new plant will do. <laughs> You were listening to Jeanette Stompfli. Thank you for the loan, Bergdorf, Switzerland, but we aren't giving her back. Next, we have House on the Corner of the Street, written and performed by Saul Guardillo II. Saul started off in my class as a troublemaking ninth grade poet, rapper, genius, artist boy, and we have worked together ever since. Most recently, he was by my side as a dramaturg and assistant director on the Indigenous Voices Project and my juvenile hall class. My first memory of existence is of my mother. I was six. I woke up and my mother was awake next to me. It was spring. I asked her to tell me a story. This was my favorite thing in the world. This was my heaven. I'm 18 years old now, and supposedly a grown-ass man. <laughs> I arrive home, it's 45 degrees, and the breeze makes the leaves around my house dance and twirl. I haven't been home for what feels like ever, and it's only been a day. 
I've returned a different person than when I had left, and it almost seems as if the concrete beneath my feet can tell. It is silent. Even the dry, brittle leaves refuse to make noise as they break apart underneath me. I walk along, along the side of a white picket fence, and I take a second to admire the beautiful house on the corner of the street. It is a testimony to, of sacrifice and love and a monument to the American dream. I realize that love is within these walls as I lay my flat hand against the door knowing that I have to knock but shy to. I realize that my father didn't build these walls but he might as well have because he supported my family like the very foundations of our home. I realize that my mother has very little time to tend to the garden but she might as well be responsible for everything green I've seen in my life. But right now it is winter inside the house on the corner of the street. I ushered the winter, but how I long for spring like a drunk longs for liquor. I walk inside the house and tears greet me. I hold my mother and my little brother in my arms and I whisper, this is for you. I promise you I'm gonna come back and pay the mortgage. I promise you I'm gonna give you grandkids one day. I promise you I'm gonna become a man. And I promise you I'm gonna come back. I'm gonna come back. The last time she heard those words, they were coming out of my father's mouth as he left his homeland to find the city upon the hill. He kept his promise, but this time around she can't help her uncertainty. I'll be okay. I have to be okay. This takes me back to when, my mo when I was a kid my mother told me, and my mother told me her stories. She would always tell me her own tailor-made story of the three little pigs. She would always make me the third little pig. <laughs> To those who don't know who the third little pig was, he was the pig who left the house along with his two brothers to build their own houses. When the first two were knocked down by the big bad wolf, the third house stood tall. The third little pig had protected his loved ones from the wolf with big teeth and he never came back. I'm not sure why this comes to mind. Maybe it's because I'm off to build my own in a world full of wolves and this doesn't scare me as much as making my mother sad does. I know I'll be okay, and this isn't a goodbye. This is a see you later from the third little pig. And that was Saul Gordillo II. I'm from here, here's the story. Please join us every other Tuesday for a new round of Freshly Minted Stories. I am Kim Maxwell of Kim Maxwell Studio, and we teach people to launch their stories loudly and unapologetically into the world. To laugh more, risk more, and have bigger lives. The Townies Podcast is co-produced by Lily Brown, Asa Larmonth, and Ken Eros. Studio engineering and mixing by Eros Creative and Sound. The Townies theme song was written and performed by Rain Perry, recorded and mixed by Martin Young, and mastered by Mark Hallman at the Congress House. The Townies podcast is in part made possible by a generous grant from the Ojai Arts Commission and the City of Ojai, a small town with big stories. You can find out more about us at thetowniespodcast.org. Thank you for listening.
is vexed, vicious, vegan, vegetarian, vegetarian. <laughs> let's do it again. Keep rolling. Okay, let's try it again. Uh, scrap the word vexed just to try. S scrap the word vexed? Yeah. Did it sound too sexy? No, it's uh, I, I think I'm <laughs> <laughs>